What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And guys, for the second week in a row, that was way too close for comfort. But it was another win against another good SEC football team. And right now, while we would obviously want to be blowing people's doors off, I know we all want that, it really is about surviving and advancing and putting yourself in position to have a one-off shot in the SEC title game to get into the college football playoff. And we did that. We have one more hurdle in the way next week against Tech, but this week was another big step towards giving ourselves that chance. But saying that, it certainly was not pretty. We all know that. We all consumed that game. It wasn't pretty. Obviously, the, the weather was a factor in the game, but for the third week in a row, our offense has struggled to find any sort of consistency since converting 12 of 18 third downs, which was 66% uh, conversion rate there, against Florida and putting up nearly 400 yards of offense against the Gators, we have now gone 16 of 49 on third down over the last three weeks. That's 32%, guys, and have averaged only 283 yards a game on offense. It's actually the past two weeks against Auburn and now AM, they have been particularly alarming for our offense, averaging only 255 yards a game and going 8 of 30, an abysmal 8 for 30 on third down. That's 26%, just some ugly, ugly stuff. And while we haven't been running all over teams during this stretch either, it's it's clearly the passing game that's been the issue. We all know that. After going 20 of, for, 20 of 30 for 279 against Florida, Jake Fromm has now completed 37 of his last 80 passes for 446 yards. That is 46% and 148 yards a game over the last three games since that big win over Florida and Jacksonville. And before we go on, hot off the presses, I have some breaking news. I have a press release from the Jake Fromm fan club that is marked for immediate release. So as the president of the Jake Fromm fan club, I guess it's my responsibility to read this to you guys. So it says, as follows, uh, to all those interested, due to all of the consternation surrounding Jake Fromm's recent passing numbers and Georgia's passing game woes in general, we felt compelled here in the Jake Fromm fan club to address the situation. We fully recognize that over the course of the past three games, Jake Fromm has not played up to the lofty standards he has established for himself. He can and needs to be better. He has missed key throws, including several passes that had the potential to turn into touchdowns that could have, if completed, changed the entire complexion of each of the last three games. However, that being said, in the interest of fairness and for veracity's sake, we also find it imperative to point out that while Jake's struggles have contributed to Georgia's passing game issues, there are certainly other factors at play, including both personnel and scheme issues. Jake has performed at a borderline, if not fully elite level, for two-plus years, and despite his recent struggles, his track record suggests that he will again find his mojo as he continues to lead this team towards attaining its lofty goals. We understand that doubting Jake Fromm's abilities has become the trendy thing to do, but we still believe that he has what it takes to lead Georgia to the promised land. Sincerely, J- the Jake Fromm fan club. But, all right, Curtis, in all seriousness, it's obvious the passing game has struggled over the past three games, and Jake Fromm has been a big part of that. It's obvious. But I'll say this, man. I, I still strongly maintain that, yeah, Jake, he hasn't been great. He really has not been. But it's far more complex than just Jake Fromm right now. I think personnel issues at wide receiver, and there are still some scheme issues at play as well that, that, are, that are keeping us – from being the offense that that we all need, want this team to be and that we need to be. So, Kurt, my question for you is, is, is this, man. Like, How do you divvy up the responsibility 
or these passing game woes? How much of it is Jake from? How much is it the receivers? How much is the scheme, the coaching? Like, where do you place more responsibility? I mean, it's hard to place it on any one person. I mean, the coaching, of course, has been problems, but a lot when Jake is not on, it makes it hard to coach because you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, I think, and I think that's a big problem when he's missing wide open receivers. Then you have to rethink what you're doing and. It is a problem when you don't know if what you're going to do is going to work. Um, they've tried. I mean, Jake missed a couple wide open throws, which really, really hurt the offense. Um, and then throughout the game, I don't know. I felt like some of the reads weren't amazing. Missing wide. Um, I think one throw that really hurt, especially two outside the uh, the bad throws to Harian and um, Pickens. Um, when Robertson was getting open in the end zone, you got to try to get a little bit better in there and on that throw in the end zone. And then I think also at times uh, you just got to give your guys a chance to make a play. It's like, you know, you're talking about uh, pr- um, personnel problems, but personnel problems can't do anything about it when they don't have a chance to make a play on the ball and the ball is going out of bounds. Now, when your quarterback is struggling, the players do have to do a good job. Like people like here, Jackson cannot miss throws and hit them in the chest for first downs. Um, but overall, I mean, there's plenty of blame to go around. Yeah, there is. I mean, look, I'm not trying to absolve Jake from all responsibility here. That's that certainly should not be the case. I mean, he he bears a good amount of responsibility. Well, especially when you're a junior and your offense is struggling, that's when you expect your superstars or your team leaders and things like that to really step up and try to do something for you. Yeah, and that's the that's the most what, what's been alarming for me because I, I still believe there are some personnel issues at wide receiver. We're just we're just not there yet, receiver. I think that's pretty clear. I think you're watching. You have to admit that. But but there are, like you said, like there there have been over the last three weeks. There, especially against Missouri and AM. I don't think as much against Auburn, but there were a couple throws against uh, AM on Saturday. You go back a couple weeks to Missouri, there were quite a few throws that that were there that Jake needed to hit. And when rece- when his receivers are open, and when, when we scheme them open, when they find a way to get themselves open, he's got to put it on the money more consistently. He's done, and, and I have a hard time explaining what's going on. To be honest with you. Uh, when he's missing some of those throws, because it, he looks like he has no confidence in himself. Yeah, and, and that's and I, I hate to play amateur psychologist here or psychiatrist, whatever one. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm seeing too. When you just look at him on the field, when you when you look at the the replay and you watch his face and just his demeanor, it doesn't look like he's playing the same kind of confidence. And look, I have no license as a psychiatrist, so I, who am I to say? But that's just you know me looking at it. That's what I see as well because this is a guy that's been so deadly accurate for the most part throughout most of his entire career, but it's just not happening right now. These last this last three game stretch, it's just been weird. I, and I really I can't explain the same guy that has been so accurate for two plus years is just is missing some throws. And now I will say like, you know, you and I were texting about this uh, during the game. Uh, initially it, like watching the game live in the stadium, I thought he missed a lot of throws in the first half. Like I was pissed. I was like, what are you doing, man? Like you're, you're putting your team in a basketball. Those are plays that, that are there to be made. You got to hit those, but going back and watching it for the second and third time today, uh, those second and third viewings, I'm, I'm not so sure how many like, he actually like were, that were really poor throws there were, I went back and, and charted them like yes in the first quarter the attempt to Harry in on that wheel route which could have been a touchdown at the very least it's it's inside the five yard line setting you up for a touchdown that was a definite miss that was a horrible throw it was a poor I mean he threw you're talking about receivers having no chance to make a play no chance to make a play there we had that schemed up really well against the right defense and Jake just missed it I mean there's no there's no making excuses for that one it was just a poor throw uh he also did miss uh Demetrius Robertson on a crosser on a third down in the first half uh, where D Rob was open, and he let him a little bit too much on that, and that's the throw that Jake has made. In his is that sleep. the one where uh, D Rob almost got his head taken off? 
Uh, I believe it. Oh no, that was that was in the second half. That was in the second half. I think I think the one you're talking about was in the second half. But there was one. It was like a it was like a third and four, third and five. It was third and oh, medium. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Yeah, it was just like not even close. And I was like, oh my god, like what is what is, what is happening right now? And th- those are things I cannot explain. I had a lot of questions. And the reason I did the whole uh, Jay Fromm fan club press uh, press release there is I had a lot of questions. Uh, at, on social media last night about as the president of Jake from fan club, like, how do you, how do you, you know, account for this? And then, so that was just my little tongue in cheek way to, to try to account for it. But I can't, like, I just, I, this guy has done that. He's, he's made these throws for two plus years, but he's not making them right now. And I, I don't know, like you said, or maybe, maybe it's, it's gotta be confidence to some degree, uh, maybe not trusting his receivers. Maybe it's in his head a little bit. I, I don't know. I cannot, without being in the locker room, talking to these guys, I don't know. It's hard to account for because, He's done it so consistently, but just not right now. But um, but there were a couple other throws. Like in the game, I thought like, yeah, those were bad misses on his part. But going back and watching, I'm not so sure. Like that flea flicker to Pickens, like I almost had a, I almost had an aneurysm in the in the, in the stands watching that because I thought I was like, oh my god, Jake, that's now two. That's now two touchdowns you missed here early in the first quarter. But it, it look if you go back and look back at it, and actually SEC Network did a pretty good job of, of showing this. Pickens kind of slowed down and looked back at the quarterback when the ball was in the air on that throw and Jake missing just by an inch or two. So I have to believe that if Pickens continues to run his route like he should have, that had a much better chance of being completed. I, I really believe that. I mean, and that's probably true. I've, I did read that and see that. I think the one thing that really bothers me about that throw is Jake has not yet learned in his three years of how to put more air under the ball at times. Yeah, he needs to do a better job of that for sure. I agree I with mean, that. I mean, I think that's one of his biggest problems. He threw that one too much on a line that, yes, if Pickens is running and it hits him on stride and things like that, but you've got to just lob it up times. So if you've got an athletic guy, even if you underthrow him a little bit, he's going to allow him to make a play on the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that's an area where he can improve. I do agree with that. And then there's a play, and I think it was this, I think this was in the second half where, uh, I think this is the one you were referencing there, Curtis. And I don't know, I don't know how much I want to put on D Rob on this one because there, the safety was coming over the top, and I, and I think you know he heard the footsteps and he didn't want to get killed there. So, but the ball was it wasn't a, it wasn't a, the best throw, but it wasn't a terrible throw. It wasn't a terrible throw, but it was not where it needed to be. That one needed to be closer to the sidelines. He started yes. leading him up the seam, which is not where you wanted to go on that throw. It's very similar to the throw he made against Tennessee, where he does complete it because he throws it more towards the sideline. So right. while it, it definitely maybe D Rob should have made a better play on it. It definitely he didn't help his receiver out at all in that situation. Yeah, that's kind of where I come down on that one. I didn't know where to place the blame on that one because I think they both could have made a better effort. Jake, and it goes back to what we were just saying though. You said that like against Tennessee, he made that th- a very similar throw, perfect throw. He's done it plenty of times in his career, but it's just not happening right now. But yeah, I, 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 you're right. That ball needed to be led a little bit more to the sideline, not as much at the seam there, but it was still a, a completable ball. If D Rob puts his hands out, makes a little bit more of an effort on the play, but it's hard to fault him. He's got the safety going to the top, but it just wasn't good execution on, on either guy's part there. But it wasn't the worst throw. It wasn't a great throw. Um, then there's the, you know, on our six-yard line on third down, puts the ball right on the money to Kyrus Jackson. Kyrus just lets it bounce right off his right off his chest, doesn't catch the ball in his hands. And then the one, uh, the potential touchdown to D-Rob in the corner of the end zone, you know, Jake was able to buy some time, goes through his progressions. And uh, it wasn't like, – it's another one. It wasn't a like, terrible throw, like the ball – but it wasn't like exactly 100% on the money, right? Um, and he put it in a position where it was going to be a borderline catch either way. Like right, he had to, right, right. He had was, to do was, something magical. Sure, and it was late in the it was late in the play, and he was just trying to get the ball out of his hands. And, and it was it wasn't a terrible throw. It wasn't a great throw. It needed to be more on the money. Again, those are plays that Jake has. I mean, we've seen how many times we've we seen Jake make touch on throw touchdown pass in the back of the end zone like that, uh, going towards the the sideline. We've seen that over and over again. He just didn't quite put it completely on the money on that play. So I guess what I'm saying is like. 
it wasn't as bad as I thought it was in the moment in that stadium because I was freaking out, man. I was not happy. I know you guys weren't happy. And you never, I was tweeting me as the president of Jake Fromm fan club, but I wasn't happy either. I mean, I, you guys know I'm a, obviously a, a big time believer in Jake Fromm, but I, I always try to be as objective as I can. Uh, I, I try to call out as I see it. And I, and I, in the moment, I was like, God, man, like this is like, you got to be better than this. But going back and watching, yes, I still think he needs to be better, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was in the game. I don't think he is as far off. I don't think our passing is as far off as uh, it might seem like it is right now. And guys, trust me, I know I'm feeling it too. Like, like it seems like we're so far away. Like when you watch these games, when you go back and watch the replays, like, man, we just did this one little thing, did that one little thing. Like we're not, this is, like we're just not that far off. We just, it's got to all start clicking at the same time. Um, and I, I put this number, I, I put these numbers out there uh, I, or last, I think it was at one point last week, maybe on a mailbag show. I'm going to put it out there again. These are updated numbers now after playing Texas A&M. So in the, and this is basically has to do with Lawrence Cager and how much of an impact he has been for our offense. In the five games that Lawrence Cager has been completely healthy for and did not miss either uh, all of the game or large chunks of the game, like a full half of the game. Those, we're, uh, we're talking about uh, the games he's played, full games. We've got Vanderbilt, Arkansas State, Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Florida. In those five games, Jake Fromm has completed 73.8% of his passes for 238 yards a game, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, averaging 10.9 yards per attempt. In the now five games that – Cager has either missed all of the game or at least a full half of the game. And I'm throwing out the Murray State game because Jake didn't play that much in the game. Cager didn't play in that game. It's FCS opponents. We're throwing that one out. But in the other against Power 5 teams, the five games that Cager has missed, Jake Fromm has completed 51% of his passes for 155 yards a game, seven touchdowns, his only three interceptions of the year, and only 5.3 yards per attempt. So, Kurt, how do you account for that? Like, like those are dramatic splits. I mean, five games with Cager, five games without. And we're talking about 10.9 yards per attempt with Cager in there, 5.3 yards per attempt with him out, uh, out of the game. 73.8% completion percentage with Cager, 51% without him. How do you account for this? Is Cager that big of a deal for this offense? I mean, maybe he doesn't have the confidence we were talking about with the younger guys. But I just – one thing that really bothers me is – He's even if you don't have confidence in the guys, maybe they'll surprise you or something, but you can't throw it out of bounds. The one play that really sticks out to me, you talk about the one that cares where he hits him in the chest, but two plays before that, you had Pickens one on one coverage and you literally throw it five yards over his head out of bounds. Yeah, it was terrible. That's another, that was another one. That was, a, yeah, I, yeah, and I, I mean, can't, and that's the thing. Like, I get you may not have confidence, but th- there's that, that wasn't on the receiver. You can't say he ran the wrong route. There wasn't communication, no. anything like that, where, where you start to worry that it's a young person not knowing what to do. That one's just a simple drop back throw. Yeah. And the, the, that's happening. I don't, it, it, it's, and, and you can't blame them Cager not playing is my thing. I mean, yeah, um, you know, there, it puts pressure on other receivers for having to play other guys that aren't great. Um, that aren't prepared or maybe don't have the connection with Jake, but but you still can't blame everything on that being the case. And I think no, that's why we said that it's, no. it, there's such blame to go around on everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, this to me, and the thing is too, people want to blame Kirby saying, well, he just wants to run the ball. He's okay with this. It's obvious. Yeah. It's not when you see Kirby out there chewing out Jake Fromm like he never has before and openly no. saying stuff in the press conference without even being asked about it. He knows. He knows. Like Kirby knows that he has a championship, a national championship level defense, a national championship level offensive line, national championship level running backs. The only thing that's missing right now is a passing game. He knows it. He knows we have a and, national. And that's the thing, or, people. It is, and that's what you're. We're talking about coaching and scheming. I don't. This is not on Kirby Smart. Now maybe the hiring of James Coley and things like that. And and yeah, he says he wants to run. And but that's the thing. I mean, you can still be successful in whatever your scheme is. 
One thing that killed us, I was thinking about this today, um, going back and looking at it, like I was, when it happened, I kind of felt I had this like just gnawing feeling at the pit of my stomach. Like it was just like, oh my God. And now I, it really is coming back to hurt. It's like JJ Holloman getting kicked off the team. How much is that? Yeah, right so, now? You know, I was going to talk about if we ever had a recap show of the season up to this point. To me, that was the biggest storyline of this entire season. Yeah. I mean, losing, losing Ridley, like, okay, Ridley was really good. Losing uh, Miko, yeah, Miko was really good. Losing Terry, Terry I mean, was good. If those are the guys we kind of more likely knew we were going to lose. Yeah, we knew we were going to lose felt, those guys. We thought we would be able to survive because we had, we yeah. thought we brought in Cagers and we had Pickens, you had D Rob, and we thought we were going to be all right for the most part right there. Which JJ Holloman for the most part. Oh my God. JJ Holloman, Cager, Pickens, and D Rob, your top four receivers. You're in good shape, man. Ah, it's just, it's tough. It's it's tough. And, and I think it also hurt when you you talk about losing people like um, Luke Ford and things like that, where it didn't work out in their case when they left, yeah. but it hurt. It left us in a terrible position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. So uh, getting back to the the original question, yeah. Like, look, I'm not I'm not trying to again. Not trying to absolve Jake from from all blame at all. Like, he's got to be better. But I think it, it's kind of magnified. Like when he's not making the like when we aren't making plays in the passing game. Then the, the, every throw he misses is magnified. You know, like like when 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 Cager is in, we were making we were hitting some plays on the field. Like he was still missing some throws here and there. Every quarterback does. That's one of the things that frustrates me. It's like I watch college football all the time. I spent all day today on Sunday watching football games. That I, that I didn't get a chance to watch yesterday. Watching them that I have recorded my DVR. And the best quarterbacks in the country, guys, they they all miss throws. They miss throws. Whether it's Jalen Hurts, whether it's Herbert at Oregon. They all miss throws, and Jake Fromm misses throws too. But they also get to—they are also making throws. So those they can, you're able to overlook some of throws they miss because they also make a ton of big plays. When Jake's not making those plays, it seems like everything is just gone to hell. And when Cager's not in there, we don't have that one consistent player, that guy that's beating press coverage consistently, the guy that's catching balls and throwing his way, running consistently, crisp routes. Because a lot of the other guys aren't doing it; they're inconsistent. Even you know Pickens, who's who's really talented, he's going to be so good for us, and he's doing really good things for us. He doesn't consistently beat press coverage. Um, he doesn't consistently run uh, uh, Chris Brown. I I even throw Blaylock. I I love Dominic Blaylock. I think he's going to be a good player for us. But uh, there's a third down play uh, where he had man coverage on an out route, and he kind of rounds the route off and allows the defender to run up under the under underneath him basically and bat the ball away. And that and so yeah, Jake missed some throws, but things like that are that's not on Jake. That's on the receiver running a Chris Brown. It's just and so it's, it goes all the way around. And and with a scheme, I really I'm with you. I think. I actually think Coley's doing a much better job. I mean, ever since the ever since the Kentucky game, he's made a consistent effort of trying to be more um, drawing up different plays, and it's no different than Jim or Jim Chaney because there were times where he drew up great plays. And go back to the very very first year with Jacob Eason, people were blaming him for the offensive struggles, but he was drawing up plays that just were not being executed. And then all of a sudden, Jake Fromm comes in, the plays start being executed. He looks like a much better offense coordinator. And I'm not saying that Coley's better than Chaney, or I'm not even comparing the two. But when execution is there, off the offensive coordinators look a lot better. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think you're right in saying that Coley's done a much better job of trying to diversify things, especially the running game. The running yeah, game. Yeah, I mean, think, the one thing that really sticks out to me, you know, we were talking about the passing game, but how many times in late game situations has our offense gone three and out and struggled and it had to come down to our defense? That was not the case this time. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, to me, I think that actually it? is what won us the game. I mean, yeah, it ended up winning the game, but I don't know if our defense goes out there if we can hold because they were dog tired. But our offense, we did their strengths. We got swift in space. I mean, we weren't the you know the normal. Let's try to run it up the gut and just use our strength against them. No, we kind of used our strength in getting swift. I mean, especially that third down and one call, the the 
the um, series or not the series, but the downs before um, Swift gets that or drops down. But the second, once we got the first down, the second time Swift comes in, we get that third down and one and we run that little, whatever you want to call that little shovel pitch to the left and get, and Swift gets the first down. And it's things like that, that where we were being more creative instead of being the stubborn us that we're going to run right up the gut and use our, our big guys against you. Yeah. How huge was that? I mean, I was a, I was a mess guys. I was an absolute nervous wreck. I, I, man, I, in that game on that last drive, we get the ball back with four minutes, 26 seconds. I was convinced that we were going three and out. They were going to get the ball back with good field position. They were going to go and they were going to score. And we we're going to lose 21 to 20. That's our 20 to 19. I was convinced that was happening. Uh, but how big was it, Kurt? Four minutes, 26 seconds that we were able to just, I don't want to say exert our will, but execute to the level that we did and run that clock out. How big I mean, that's was- how we should be doing. We have big offensive linemen, though. That doesn't mean we have to run right at you. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I just, to me, that talk about answering the bell right there, man. Like, I, I had no faith that we were going to do it because uh, I was, again, just a nervous wreck in the stands. But my God, they, they actually, they knuckled down and got it done. And it was some, it was, it was not just the offensive line. Like Harry on that on that third and one. Like what a freak on that first down on that first first down. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he had the fight for that. What an effort by Brian here. And that wouldn't just that's gonna go in the in the stat book as like a what one and a half yard carry. But that does not tell the whole story of that run. Uh, and and that's the thing too. We kind of learned from there. All right, we barely got it with Harry in. So this time around, we did a quick pitch or you know the pitch and got Swift and space and. I mean, that's the thing. They were, yeah, I had that in my notes. They were what they were doing. Coley obviously noticed they were slanting hard inside. They were crashing hard on the inside zone. That's what they were doing. Exactly, and that's the thing. I mean, is he? We weren't being our continuously stubborn selves the entire game. I mean, there are times where we can call better plays, and there are there's always room to improve. But there has been an effort made. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I want to point out one more thing on that last drive. So, uh, second and twelve after the first first down and what we do is we send deandre swift in motion and everyone on the defense is focusing on deandre swift we because we at that point we hit him on a couple of passes out there so they are all are zeroed in on him at the snap and what do we do we hit dominic Blake on a very simple slant to get us to third and one and to set up that play you're talking about that that then that toss on third and one for seeing them crash hard inside early in the drive those two plays right there that sequence was a masterful job by James Coley. Might not seem like much, but that, again, like you said, that drive won the game. And those were two huge calls by James Coley. I know we only put up 260 yards total offense, which is not good enough, but he's doing some good things. Now, one thing, and like, look, I I always hate to criticize play calling because I don't operate with as much information as our coaches do. I just don't. Um, And I'm not in those meeting rooms knowing what they're talking about, what's going on. But I've been saying this for a couple weeks. I'm going to continue to say it. Guys, RPOs, are going to be there all day long. And I'm having a hard time understanding why we are not attacking the middle of the field more. Are you with me on that, Kurt? Would I mean, like in general, I think we could be a little bit more creative in our play action. I mean, just like that, we've gone to that little shovel pass to keep talking about with Swift. We tried it the first play of the game, got blown up. But we used it throughout the game. There's an opportunity to fake that and throw it to someone fake blocking and then releasing. Um, we just got to be a little bit more creative when we do call our pass plays. I think RPOs would make not only our passing game, but our running game even more efficient. It, it, and I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around why we're not doing more of it because everyone in America does it. 
and it's a big part of just modern college football. And we're just, for whatever reason, not doing it. If we could pair that, we don't have the mobile quarterback, all right? So if you don't have the mobile quarterback, run the RPOs to basically like we like when we run these little zone reads, Jake's not, I don't think Jake's actually reading anywhere. I don't think he really has the option to pull. I don't think he has any interest in pulling the ball whatsoever. But we can still neutralize the defender by reading him in the passing game. And I don't understand why we're not doing more of that. Because what's happening, like we have to find a way to slow down safeties. Because what they're doing is at the snap. Like a lot of times, like when they say stack in the box, they're not necessarily doing that right now. They're, they're, they're starting out with two high safety looks. And then at the snap, the safeties are taking off on a dead sprint towards line of scrimmage without even the slightest regard for the passing game. They know they're able to do that because they know we are not even trying to attack that part of the field. We're not trying to attack the middle of the field. All we need to start doing a couple of times a game is just pull the ball and throw it behind them, throw it over the head, over their heads in the middle of the field, just like we did on that second and 12 play on that final drive to Blaylock. Those plays are going to be there all day long. And by doing that, you slow down them rushing towards line of scrimmage. Linebackers right now, guys, teams are playing a lot. They're inside linebackers about two to three yards off line of scrimmage, which is insane because they don't have any respect or any regard for us trying to hit anything behind them. They just don't think we're going to do it because we're not doing it. So those are the kind of schematic things that I think we need to work on. I do think that Coley's doing a better job diversifying things and uh, individual play calling. I think he's doing a pretty good job. But it's those kind of things I just still don't quite understand why we're not doing those things. If we're going to try to get this offense kickstarted over the last couple weeks of the season, those are, to me, those are the easy things we need to do, especially if you're having issues some of the receivers without cage in the game, getting open consistently down the field in these back shoulders. Those are things that fit their skill sets. Guys like Kiaris Jackson, guys like Donald Blaylock, guys like uh, Demetrius Robertson. Those are the things that those guys do well. So to me, it just kind of makes too much sense to be doing that. But for whatever reason, uh, we're just not. We're not. Before we move on here and talk more about the game against AM, I do want to remind you guys about our friends at Vivid Seats. If you guys are in the market for tickets the rest of the season, whether it's this week's game against Georgia Tech down in Atlanta, next week's game against LSU in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the SEC title, Vivid Seats is the place to go for all your ticket needs. They have the best selection, the best prices, and guys, I can tell you with firsthand knowledge, that's absolutely 100% the case. I actually just bought tickets for the Tech game this week and tickets for the SEC title game through Vivid Seats, and that process was incredibly easy, and I'm so glad I went with them because they had the best selection, the best prices, and it was completely a stress-free process. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, and by buying those tickets, I was able to earn some credits back through their new Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, and all I had to do was go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. That's all you got to do, and you will be automatically enrolled in their Rewards Loyalty Program, and when it's time to buy... New users enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Uh, but Kurt, so you mentioned the offensive line play during that last drive. What do you make of the offensive line play in general on Saturday? Inconsistent. Yeah, a guy who I thought had a rough game, um, he's played really well for us for a year and a half plus now, is Solomon Kinley. I thought Kinley had a Yeah, rough Kinley game. struggled. He up a couple times. Matabuki just ate him, ate him alive. And, and Matabuki's really good. He's, he's quick, explosive. Um, but Solomon, I just he did not play his best game, and it, and it wasn't just him. Everybody had their moments. Trey Hill got beat a couple of times. That's uh, even, consistent. Yeah, even Andrew Thomas got beat uh, one time around the edge. Now they, they dialed up a blitz there, and he kind of kind of got confused. Um, but I think it was inconsistent. And I, technically, if you look at the stat book, we ran for under 100 yards, but that factors in sacks and then that the bad snap. So if you look at the, our top two running backs, you get Swift and Harrion. 
They ran for 133 yards on 29 carries, which is four and a half yards carry, which is not like great, but it's it's pretty good. We, when you consider the issues we're having in the passing game and teams having no I was say, when you have no pass game, that helps. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Swift now going for over 100 yards in, in these last two games has two really good defense. Like, by the way, guys, like, like I said last week, A&M is borderline top 20 nationally defense. They're number 21 nationally right now in total defense. Uh, so they're they're not much different than what Auburn is. That's a really good defense. And to be able to grind out 133 yards on the ground with our top two backs, four and a half yards to carry, when they know that's what we want to do, we don't really have much of a threat of a passing game. Uh, I think Elvis Vine actually did a pretty good job. Uh, you're right. They were consistent. They got beat at times. But there's also some really good players in that defensive front. I mean, Matabuki is a, a, an all-SEC caliber type player. So uh, I think overall they played pretty well. They need to clean up a few things. But uh, especially considering that a lot of those guys are banged up right now, so they uh, comported themselves fairly well there. But uh, all right, I do uh, I do want to bring this up real quick before you get to the defense, Curtis. On that last drive, it's, it was hard to miss. Spend some discussion about this. What do you make of this? Is what Kirby called the passion between Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift in that last drive. What do you make of that? Um, I think it's frustration. Um, I, what do you? What, I know we don't know, but like, just just do your amateur detective here. What do you think Swift was so upset about in that play? Because I think he maybe he picked up on it a little bit quicker that the blitz than maybe Jake had, and. He, I, I mean, because Jake admitted that he just didn't have time to, to call an audible. Right, it was, yeah, it was, uh, the play clock, we were trying to milk the clock. It was down to one. I, I, I think Jake saw it, but we just could you know, you see, what do you. Yeah, and I just question that maybe Swift saw it ahead of time or maybe saying you should have seen it ahead of time. Maybe that, but I think he just didn't. I think he disagreed with the decision to just run the play. Yeah, I think that's what happened there. Maybe uh, at that time, because we still have some timeouts. Yeah, you can milk the clock to one and take a time, timeout right then. You also don't know how late it took for the play to get in there. You don't know. Like maybe maybe Jake didn't get the play until you know there were six seven seconds on the play clock, and it's really tough to to switch the direction of the play when you got six or seven seconds on the play clock. And I don't know. Maybe maybe he got it in plenty of time. I don't I don't know. Uh, but I think that's what what happened there. I think he was upset because you know he got killed in that play. He had no chance whatsoever. That we ran that play right into the blitz. It's the exact wrong play to run in that situation. The wrong side to run it to. But uh, in Jay Fromm's defense, it, there was one second on the clock when when it was snapped. So, um, yeah, I think it was frustration there. Um, just for, yeah, these guys all like they they want to do. I mean, they've been in a successful offense the last two years. I think he's just overall frustrated yeah. with how hard they're having to work for what little they're getting. Yeah, and I think they I think they know it's on them. I think they, just like you and I said, like I think Jake and Swift, everyone else in the offense realizes that like right now they're the weak link. Uh, our defense is championship good. Rodrigo Blankenship, our special teams could be championship good. But right now our offense is not. And they don't want to be the weak link. They don't want to be the reason why this team doesn't go to where we And right now that's, that, that's the case. I mean, when we lost – our only loss this year is on the offense, the shoulders of the offense. God, Curtis, Jesus, man. Like, can you imagine if we hadn't lost that South Carolina game? Think about how we – like, if we go in the SEC title game, like, it, even if we lose, we play a close game, we might get in. With Oregon losing, like, we might get in. Uh, but God, Jesus, how did we do that? How did we do that? Somehow, somehow we did it. Uh, but anyway, all right. So the offense was scary bad again, getting only 260 yards of total offense. But man, the defense did it again. And Curtis, this AM offense has some serious playmakers, and, and they've been on fire the past couple weeks playing the, their best football the season coming into this game. How were, and they were playing with house money, Kurt, nothing to lose in this game. How were we able to limit them to one touchdown? And 13 total points. We made them one-dimensional. That's exactly what it is, man. That's what I have in my notes here. Like we we flat out dominated the line of scrimmage. And that's something I mentioned last week. Like 
I went over some numbers. I, I thought that we had an advantage in the trenches on both sides of the ball, whether it's our defensive line versus their offensive line or our, our offensive line versus their defensive line. Now, their defensive line had some wins against our offensive line, but defensively in the trenches, we dominated. Kirk, I, get this number, man. And, and you probably noticed this, but here's the actual number. Outside, if you take away the quarterback sneak, they only attempted two runs in the second half. Two runs in the second half. Have you ever heard of, an, of, of, of a stat like that in an SEC game? Honestly, no. They only seem to run the football two times. Like, I mean, we we shut them down. I mean, what was it? Negative one total rushing yards. And there were some sacks. There were still negative one total rushing yards. And, and we just so thoroughly dominated them on the ground the first half that Jimbo Fisher, who is a pro-style coach who wants to run the football, just said, screw it, man. We're not even going to try to run the football. And I know they ended up throwing for about 270 yards. But they actually threw for less yards per attempt than Jake threw for because I think they threw it 42 times. So I think you're right. Being able to make them one-dimensional was really what carried the day for this defense. And, and I'll say this too. I thought one of the stories of this game was individual defenders making big-time plays in big-time moments. There are a couple of plays in my mind that kind of stand out. But which one? Like if you had to pick one play by a defender that was a big-time play in a big-time moment that really contributed towards this win, which play stood out to you the most? Tyler Clark sack. How freaking big was that? Oh, Huge. my God. Again, I was a nervous wreck. I, at that point, before the sack, they're driving the first and 10. They're moving down the field. I'm sitting like, oh, my God, season's over. Yeah, okay, well, maybe we can win the SEC title and take that as a consolation. Who knows? But Tyler Clark, dude, just coming with that huge sack, first and 10 from our own 42, 6 of 4 left. Puts them behind the eight ball. That's what ends up forcing that punt, which then allows us to get the ball back with four minutes, 26 seconds, and then just run the clock. That was huge, man. Absolutely huge. Another guy I want to point out here. I thought Now, he wasn't perfect on Saturday, but he made two huge plays that I don't want to say won the game for us, but really were big-time contributors towards us winning this football game. That's Richard LeCount. He's a guy that – that we had a question about last week in the mailbag, and he's really been coming on. The first I want to point out is the fumble, right? Uh, that yeah. Weidermeyer, uh, tight end Weidermeyer catches the ball. And I, I was afraid they were going to blow the whistle dead. But LeCount kept, I was shocked kept they pushing didn't, forward. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and LeCount, I, I, well, I think he, it's because he was still trying to fight for us toward the first down. And LeCount just stays at it and rips that ball out, recovers it himself. Huge play right there. So now we then we convert that into three points. I wish we could have gotten a touch on that. At least we got some that's three points. And then there's another play that might not go down the stat sheet as much as the fumble and the fumble recovery. But there was a uh, – Kellamon takes off on a scramble uh, on second down. And he scrambles it to the 26. LeCount uh, makes a play and stops him sh- just short of the first down. So it's third and one, right? Then on third and one, they go to the quarterback sneak. We stop them. Then on fourth and one, we all know what happens. Jordan Davis comes in there, makes the huge fourth down stop. But none of that is possible without Richard LeCount, who, by the way, guys, was playing deep middle of the field safety, comes out of freaking nowhere to make the play short of the first down on that second down play on that scramble. I mean, his ability to cover ground is just ridiculous. And I, no one knew it was me that big of a play at that moment. Because, guys, that was on the 26-yard line. So three points in the fumble. And then I would say at least three. They have a good kicker. Seth Smalls is a good kicker. At least three points there by forcing the, the stop there and eventually leads to the fourth down stop. 
That's six points. Guys, we won by six points. That was right there. Potentially, those two plays are the difference in the game. Huge, huge plays. And, of course, along with that Jordan Davis fourth down stop. So I just want to give a shout-out to Richard LeCount because he has just been playing like a totally different player the past couple weeks. And those are just two gigantic plays. Going back and rewatching a couple times today. Uh, just two huge plays that stood out to me. There's no doubt there. But uh, So defense, I mean, what else is there to say? Just absolute dominated line of scrimmage. Uh, held a team under 300 yards again. Still have not given up 20 points in a single game all year long. And knock on wood right now because I don't want Tech to be the first team to do that. But uh, just another dominant performance by a flat-out elite defensive unit. But uh, I, I do want to move on to special teams. We don't talk about a ton of special teams. We talked about Jake Kamard a little bit last week. But I want to mention the special teams here a little bit before we get out of here today. Kurt, four field goals. In those kind of conditions, how big was Rodrigo Blankenship on Saturday? I thought the second one Rodrigo hit kind of got us going for a little bit. When he hit that ball, I didn't think it was going in. Uh, my I thought it was were, way, I thought it was ugly. Yeah, my, my seats were right there in that end zone, actually. It was a it was a total knuckleball. I was like, oh, my God. But it, it went in. I'm like, oh, God, it went in. It was a 49-yard field goal. Uh, and I don't know if you had a chance to go back and watch the replay. Or I watched the replay today. That ball defied the laws of physics. If you watch on those of you who watch on television, you know what I'm talking about. That ball starts like way left, and then somehow because because he knuckled it, kind of knuckles back inside the in, inside the 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 uh, the goalpost there. I have no idea how that happened. I have no idea how the man did it. Maybe this is the new shoes he had on. I don't know. Uh, but that was a huge, huge kick there, uh, and he was on. He was on. You know, he missed the one against South Carolina, which I know he still wants back. I wish we had that one back, but we don't win that game on Saturday without Rodrigo Blankenship. We just don't. So. Just it's such a weapon to have a guy like that, a, a veteran who's played so much football, made so many big kicks, big time moments, in those kind of conditions to be able to do that. That forty nine yarder in those conditions, that's just big time stuff. And Jake Camarda, I thought had another, maybe not quite as big of a game. As yeah, outside that one bad kick, he was really good. Yeah, one bad kick, just kind of against Auburn, had one rough kick late in that game, uh, but. I, this guy is straightening it out. Like he had some issues with consistency, consistency early in the year, but he has now become the guy that we all thought he would be coming out of high school. And this guy, if you remember guys recruiting him, big time kicker at Norcross high school. And uh, I'll be interested to see if he might be a guy that contends to do place kicking and punting duties next year. This guy was a good kicker in high school as well. We'll see. We'll see. And we got to have a guy coming in this year, but we'll see if Kamara might try to push a, uh, to do both next year, if it's possible. Uh, but, Kurt, one other thing I want to bring up on special teams real quick is the punt return game. How do you feel right now with Dominic Blaylock back there as our punt returner? Do you feel like we're dynamic enough to do anything in the punt return game? Oh, no, I don't at all. But I do think that we are safer there than we were when we had Tyler Simmons. Yeah, I, I do. I, I mean, punting, like, anytime we go back there to catch a punt, to field a punt, I, it freaks me out, man. I hold my breath, and I just uh, – it's it's rough for me because I've just seen too many get muffed. But he, we have been more consistent there, and it's, it, I do feel safer with him back there getting knock on wood than I did with Tyler Simmons for a couple of games. Uh, but we just don't seem to have any sort of ability to make any plays in the punt return game. And when you're having issues offensively and you're not dynamic on offense and you are not scoring points on offense like we need to, like you need to be dangerous in the return game. You know, Brian Herring broke a, a, a good solid run in the in a, on a kick, but the punt return game, and I know we're having a fair catch a lot of them, that's, that's a part of this. But, man, it would be really nice to start getting some more dynamic returns because, like, this offense needs all the help it can get. And right now, even if Blaylock fields it, like, do you feel like he's – like, honestly, I, I know we feel safe. And number one, the number one job of a punt returner is to catch the ball, field it safely. And I know that's that we've got to have that. He's done a good job of that. But do you feel like he's the most dangerous return man we could put back there? In terms of no, making- not at all. Who would you, like, give a shot back there to? 
Maybe D Rob. I would do D. What about James Cook? Oh yeah, hundred percent. James. I mean, and I'm I'm sure we've tried all these guys, and and they feel safest and most comfortable with Dominic Blaylock. And like, I'm not out there. The coaches know far more than I do. But in terms of like, talking about just trying to inject something into the arm of this offense, and, and I know it's not the offense per se, but our offense needs some help, and we need to start trying to make some plays on special teams, especially in the return games. Um, and Blaylock, I mean, I know he's a he's a really good player. He's going to be really good for us. But I just don't know if he's like the most dynamic athlete as a punt returner that uh, – if you think about some of the other options that we have on this team. So just a thought out there. I just want to put that out there because that's kind of been in my mind the past couple of weeks. But uh, all right, Kurt, before we get out of here, last question. Simply, man, where are you with this team right now? Is this team – is this a team capable of winning the SEC title and potentially a national title as we sit right now? Um, with what we have, yes. But the way we're playing, no. So you think we have the players to do it? We're just not – playing up to our capabilities on offense 100 percent. yeah i mean we like the first half of the year we saw this offense playing at a pretty high level it's just it's weird it's like a slump and like maybe we come out of it maybe we don't i don't know i it's just so hard to say i'll say this i think that we are good enough to be any single team on any given day like like there's any given day, our offense come out there and start clicking. Like things could start clicking and be a totally different animal. Jake's playing with confidence again. Guys are getting open. The running game's get is uh, is is hitting those explosive plays that we like. We kind of become accustomed to the past couple of years that we haven't seen as much this year. Like that could happen. I mean, that could happen against LSU in the title game. I'm not predicting it's going to happen, but it could happen. My question, though, Curtis, is this: Like, I think we're good enough to to beat LSU potentially, but are we good enough to beat? three teams of that caliber in a row to win the SEC title game and then win two games in the college playoff. I mean, ah. if our offense starts playing well, then yes. If it, if they start playing with consistent, they're going to have to do it consistently for three straight games against elite competition. And I think they have it in them to do it, but I have to admit we have done it. We have done it the last half of this season. So it's hard for me to say, yeah, it's going to happen. But like, I guess I would say it could happen. Like we, I th- I'm with you. I think we have the players to do it. We just gotta freaking figure it out, man. And I don't know if I don't know, I don't know what the answers are. I don't know. Jake's gotta get his confidence back. We've got to continue to try to grow schematically and do th- some things. We have done some things differently that have really worked out well. We gotta continue to grow in that regard. I don't know, man. I wanna believe. I really do, but we've got to figure out a way to do it offense because we have everything else it takes. Are you believing the idea that our defense will give us a chance every single game? Uh, I mean it has so far. Even against a team like I mean, we'll get to LSU, I guess, next week, but Look ahead a little bit. You feel like we have a shot to at least slow them down somewhat, more so than they have been all year? Maybe more so, but not enough. If our offense doesn't do anything, it'll yeah, be close, but not close enough. Yeah, we're going to have to score. But we got plenty of time to talk about that. I just want to kind of see where your head was right now. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. I know it was ugly. I know it was a tough watch. But, uh, hey, we won. And like I said at the outset of the show, we gave ourselves a chance. Got one more little hurdle to cross here or to jump over against Tech. And uh, we'll have a chance to, to play for a spot in the college football playoff. And uh, that, right now it's just about surviving and advancing. And not pretty, but we survived and we advanced. Got one more week and then we'll, we'll have a shot to do it. So we will cover all of that for you guys this week and next week. But thanks for listening today, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>